Acts chapter 12, reading from the beginning. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy she did not open the gate but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so and they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking and when they opened they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, He described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, The voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down, because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last.
that the word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Amen, and may God bless to us this reading of his own holy word. We're going to sing in Psalm 118. Psalm 118, this is from Sing Psalms. Psalm 118, and it's from verse 17. I put down verse 16, which is actually the middle of a verse. So from verse 17 uh, through to verse 17. We'll sing first, I will sing from verse 17 to verse 24. I shall not die, but I shall live. The Lord's great work I will proclaim. The Lord severely chastened me, but rescued me from death's domain. Throw wide the gates of righteousness. I'll enter and give thanks to God. This is the gate of God through which the righteous come before the Lord. You answered me, I will give thanks. Salvation comes from you alone. The stone the builders had refused has now become the cornerstone. The Lord himself has done all this. It is a marvel in our sight. This is a day the Lord has made. In it let us take great delight. Verses 17 to 24, four stanzas. I shall not die, but I shall live. I shall not die, but I shall Ah! Uh... 
again for a little to the chapter we read in Acts of the Apostles. And uh, looking really at the, the whole chapter, but uh, probably focusing on the main part of it is verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. As we know, the greatest thing that any person can have in their life is the Lord Jesus Christ. The moment that Jesus comes into our heart, into our life, life changes. Changes uh, in the most wonderful way, in the most positive way. It gives us a sense of belonging, a sense of identity, a sense of purpose. We know why we're here. We know where we're going. These are very, very important things because so many people are asking these questions. Why am I here? What's it all about? But when you become a Christian, it becomes very clear to you what it's all about. And along with that, God, through the, what Jesus has done and through the ministry of the Spirit, gives us uh, into our heart a sense of peace. Not like the world gives. Jesus said that. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. And so there's a settled peace that's below all the trouble that goes on in, in a person's life. And underneath there is a peace that cannot ultimately be removed. It can be shaken. We can be disturbed and we can go through all kinds of things. But still underneath there is this peace. We have the love of God shed abroad within our heart. We have a hope that is there as an anchor in the soul. We have so, so many blessings we could go through just now and uh, list them all. But of course, side by side with all the rich blessings, uh, there is another thing that comes into our life. And that is that from the moment we become a Christian, we're facing an enemy or facing enemies in this world. Enemies that we had no idea about before. Because the world is not a friend of Christ. Our own natural heart is not a friend of Christ. And Satan, obviously, is not a friend of Christ. So there's this threefold battle that starts immediately we become a Christian. And as we say, the biggest problem is that the enemy of our own uh, flesh, of our own human heart, is there with us. And it is at war with the work of God's Spirit. We read plenty in the Bible telling us that. So there's a conflict going on. And that's why the Apostle was talking at one time and he was saying, you know, the good, the good, sort of rephrase it, the good that I would want to do, I don't do. And the evil that I don't want to do, that's what I end up doing. And I'm sure that every single one of us can say... <coughs> I understand exactly what Paul was saying. How often we find that the good that we're wanting to do and what we're wanting to follow the Lord aright and we, we end up doing the very opposite <coughs> Excuse me, or going in a, another direction. But of course, side by side with the, the conflict within our own heart, we're also living in a world that does not like the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is, a, there is a growing opposition in the world that we're living in towards the gospel. And it is very, very clear within our own nation. And I, I find it amazing how 
just in, in, in my own lifetime of how uh, even people that maybe weren't uh, partial to the gospel or had no time for the gospel, that there is a, there's a new type of anger and hatred against the, the Christian faith, where there is, there's a determination that are people and they're giving all their energy and their abilities, and some with great abilities, to eradicate the Christian faith out of society, to remove God, remove the Bible, remove the influence from all sections of society. And they say, if you want to have anything to do with Christianity, have it in your own wee corner, but don't in any shape or form bring it into public life. Well, that's an impossible for a, for a Christian, because wherever a Christian goes, they take Christ with them. So that causes conflict. And uh, it's extraordinary that the day that we're now living in, that uh, and sometimes you see it, that people who are preaching on the street, the police can be called, because people take offense at what's being preached. And it's, we're, we're living in such a different day. When I, when I was studying in college, I remember the, the late Professor Douglas Macmillan. He used to take us out to do a wee bit of street preaching. I remember we used to preach at the bottom of the mound. It was part of what he got us to do. I don't know that we could do that today, but that was, that was part of, of what, what we did. But it's, we're living in a different day. Where there's, well, that's the kind of day that uh, we have here in Acts of the Apostles. Because it was a day where the early church was really beginning to flourish and to grow. But side by side with that, the fires of persecution had also uh, begun as well. And here we have this king, this king, uh, King Agrippa. Uh, this man had risen up against uh, the church. And they were, they were uh, uh, not a nice lot, these herons. Because this uh, Herod Agrippa, who had James beheaded, was a grandson of Herod the Great, the man who was responsible for the slaughter of all the infants. Remember when Jesus was born? And in, in, in order to get rid, to make sure that Jesus uh, was killed, he ordered the slaughter of the infants in Bethlehem. And this Herod Agrippa was a nephew of Herod Antipas, who had John the Baptist beheaded. So you can see all these Herods, Herod the Great, who slaughtered the infants to try and get rid of Jesus. You had then uh, Herod Antipas, who executed John the Baptist. And now you have Herod Agrippa, who has executed uh, James and is now hoping to execute Peter. So you can see that there are uh, dangerous, dangerous people. And this was a political move because Herod, the Herods weren't popular in, amongst the Jews in Jerusalem. And Herod, in order to try and gain favor, this was a, just a purely political move, he knew that he would gain great favor because he knew that the religious leaders hated Christ. They had put him to death. And they hated the followers of Christ. So he thought, right, I'll go to the top and I'll, get, I'll take James. Here's one of, of Jesus' immediate three. So he took him and had him executed. And he saw that the, that pleased the religious leaders of the Jews. So he said, right, I'm going to the very top. I'm going for Peter. And we know, of course, that Peter was the one who 
was used by the Lord on the day of Pentecost where he preached and thousands were converted under Peter's preaching. And uh, so we see that this is obviously why, why Herod uh, had gone for him. Peter, of course, preached that fearless message. And it was a, the message that Peter preached was simply to repent and to believe. And you know, the message that Peter preached way back then is exactly the same message that we preach today. It hasn't altered. The gospel has not changed in any shape or form down throughout the centuries. And that's the beauty of it. It is still the same message, to repent and to believe. And uh, we know that this is, this is where, as we said, uh, this new life comes. So Herod takes Peter and puts him in prison, intending to take him out to execute him. Now, you'd think that Peter was the most dangerous terrorist, the most dangerous criminal in the world, because he's here in a cell, he's chained to two soldiers, and there's another two soldiers at the door of the cell. So there's a squad of four. And every, probably every four hours or every few hours, they changed. So there were 16 soldiers that were put in place. So they would be working shifts like that. Two chained to Peter and two guarding at the cell door. Because Herod wasn't taking any chances. Because they had heard so much about what had happened to Jesus. And remember how a, a stone, a great stone had been put there and a guard had been placed and yet Jesus rose from the dead. So you can see that Peter, that Herod is not taking any chances. And so he has Peter, as we say, in the maximum security wing of the prison, chained to soldiers, soldiers outside. So you could say it is an absolute and utter impossibility at a human level for Peter to escape from that prison. However, that's the beauty of it, and that's the most encouraging thing for the Christian is verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, and he was going to be kept there until his execution. Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Earnest, incessant, genuine, heartfelt prayer, continuous prayer. And that's the most awesome privilege that God has given to us where we're able to come to God in prayer. And that's what the church did. They knew that, humanly speaking, Peter's situation was, he was finished. He was a, a dead man. Dead man walking, we use that expression. Well, that's, that's what Peter was behind the prison bars. But the church prayed. And I'm sure there have been times in our own lives when we faced situations that we thought were impossible, situations that we didn't know how we were going to cope or deal with. Sometimes the Lord does help in ways, sometimes he helps in different ways to the ways that we want or the ways we expect. But he always helps us or comes in in one way or another. And so the Lord loves to demonstrate his, his, his power. And the great thing is that when we pray, we are in touch with omnipotence. We are in touch with a power that brought this world into being. God brought this world into being by the word of his power. And when we look around at this, the, this marvelous creation, and when we look at ourselves, just the, 
the complexity, the wonder of the, the human body. And God made this out of the dust of the ground and out of the bone of, from the rib of man. And by, all by the word of his power. And when we pray, we are in touch with that power. Let us never forget that. Let us always remember that this is who we pray to, the God of the universe, the God of, of heaven and earth. This is the God who opened the, 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 the Red Sea. He, he closed the mouths of lions. Remember when Daniel was in the den of lions? He closed the, the mouth of, of the lions. He sent bread from heaven. He raised the dead. It was said of Mary, Mary Queen of Scots that she feared the prayers of John Knox more than an army of 10,000 men because she could see, she saw the impact and the effect of his prayers. So the church prayed. And that's what God allows often into our life. He allows things into our lives in order for us to pray. Because, you know, a lot of the time, sadly, we can go through all the motions. We can come to church, come to the prayer meetings, we can tick the boxes, go through the motions, and we pray and this. And sometimes, if we're honest, we become dull in our hearts. We're just going through as it were the motion. But you know, when something happens in our life, something really shakes us to the foundation, to the core, our prayer changes. There's an urgency, there's an earnestness. There's a genuineness. There's a heart in it that wasn't there before. And God will often allow that into us, as it were, to shake us, to shake the lethargy, to shake the, the drowsiness that sometimes he sees that we don't even see ourselves. So the church here was being shaken in order uh, to pray. And as we said to the young people, we know that when, <clears throat> why do we pray? Well, we pray in order that's the number one thing. Prayer, yes, we, we often have a list of things we pray for, but above all, we want to pray in order that we'll get to know the Lord more and more. The greatest thing that we, can, that we can have is to come to a more intimate knowledge of the Lord. And the more you get to know of him, the more you want to know. You know, sometimes it's the reverse with people. Sometimes people, as you get to know them and the more you get to know them, you begin to see side to the, a side to them, and you thought, oh, I never saw that before. Maybe a side that isn't quite as winsome or attractive as you initially thought. But it's never so with the Lord. In fact, it's a reverse. The more you get to know him, the more wonderful he becomes. And that's what the Apostle Paul prayed, that I might know him. There's probably nobody or very, very few people in this world ever knew the Lord quite like the Apostle Paul but he wasn't satisfied with what he knew. He wanted more, that I might know him. More and more and more and more. And how do we get to know him? By spending time with him. That's what we said to the young people. That's how we get to know people. By spending time with them. Time spent with the Lord is never wasted. Never ever wasted time. It's always beneficial. And so it's important for us to come to know the Lord more and more. So here's the church. The church is in a crisis and the church does what it should do in a crisis. But you know, there's something amazing when, you, when we gaze into the prison cell because it's there we find Peter and he's sound asleep. Here he is the night before his execution. Now I don't know how you or I might be, 
But I don't know if sleeping like a baby would be the way we would be. But Peter is fast asleep in the knowledge that in the morning he's going to be taken out and executed. Fast asleep. And that, in a sense, is quite amazing because he has loads of worries. We know that he was married, he's a wife, because we read about how Jesus healed his mother-in-law, he's got a mother-in-law. He has a whole responsibility of the early church on his shoulders. There are so many things to worry him and to, to fill him with anxiety on this last night on earth, but he's sound asleep. Maybe that's part of what the church is praying for alongside his deliverance that he that he might be kept free from anxiety. You know how the, the psalm says, so he gives his beloved sleep. Maybe they were quoting that to the Lord in their prayer. Lord, give, give, give Peter sleep, Lord. Give him composure in the face of what he's up against. And so we find Peter asleep. <coughs> but I believe there's something else here. And I believe that Peter is resting his head on the promises of Jesus. Because Peter had been given a great promise by Jesus. You remember after the denial, after Peter had denied Jesus, and Jesus had restored Peter back to office, find it in John chapter, the last chapter in John. And Jesus, after he tells him to feed his sheep and to feed the lambs and such like, he told him that when he would be old, he would receive the martyr's crown. He said, when you are old, they will take you and they will stretch out your hands. That's why people think that Peter was crucified. But Jesus tells very clearly, they will lead you away in, in a way that you don't want. And your hands will be stretched out. And uh, such like. So that Peter is... is, is uh, uh, he, he, there, He's going back on what, what Jesus what Jesus had actually said. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. So that's what Jesus had said to Peter. Only a very, very short time ago. So there's the, the word of Jesus. And he's saying to Peter, when you're old. And Peter's saying to himself, well, I don't know what's going to happen. But I believe that Jesus' word will be fulfilled. That God will be faithful to his word. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I'm going to rest on that pillow. The pillow of God's promise. And so he did. And you know, it's important for us to do the same as well, that we rest on the promises of God. Because maybe some of you here are holding on and it's looking like every day less and less likely to be fulfilled. Don't give up. Because so often this is the way it happens. That God's providence appears to be going in the very opposite direction to what his promises are pointing to. But in the end, his promise will be fulfilled. You see it so often in the likes of Joseph who had promises that he would be exalted above his brothers. And for years he languished in the prison in Egypt. David was promised he was to be king and for years he was barely escaping with his life on the mountain as Saul was trying to kill him. But yet David, uh, Jacob, uh, sorry, Joseph 
One day, he was pulled from the prison and he was sitting next to Pharaoh on the throne. David, one day, the hunt was over. He was anointed king. God's word was fulfilled. And it will be in your case as well, even although today it may seem like a hundred thousand miles away from being fulfilled. God will fulfill his word. And uh, as the word says, surely that which concerneth me, which we'll sing in the end, the Lord will perfect me. He will perfect that which concerns us. And so we believe that this is what Peter was doing. This is how he slept. Slept like a baby in the sure knowledge that the Lord would fulfill his promises. And so we find that this angel wakens Peter. Comes into the prison, not bound by any locks or keys. This angel appears in the prison and says to Peter, get up quickly. And it tells us the chains fell off his hands. Now, you'll notice that there's a particular order there. Get up quickly. And it's when Peter got up quickly, the chains fell off. You see, if Peter had sat there and says, Aye, there's no point in getting up. I can't get up. And see, I'm tied. I'm chained to these two guys. I can't get up. But Peter obeys immediately. And in his obeying, the chains fell off. And that's the way that God works with us. Because God doesn't say with regard to salvation, just carry on anyway and I'm going to come in and I'm going to save you. No, although God does the saving, he says, seek and you will find. Knock and you, uh, the, the door will be opened. Ask and uh, uh, to, to seek and will find. Ask and it will be uh, opened to you. Uh, look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth. We're to look, we're to ask, we're to knock, we're to seek. We're to, we're to do that. That's our part. And as we seek to do that, the Lord will come in and do what we can't do for ourselves. He will do the saving. And so we find that that's exactly what ha- ha- happens here with, with, uh, with Peter. And so the, the angel leads Peter out and uh, takes him out. And you know, it's, it's a wonderful thought that the Lord sent his angel to help Peter. I believe in glory. It's one of the things that we'll come to see. Things we don't see here, but I believe that that'll be part of what will be all to the glory of God, where we'll discover things that we didn't realize how often the Lord sent an angel to, to help us, to preserve us, to keep us. How often we would have maybe gone into trouble or danger. Because we're told in the Bible that the angels are ministering spirits to the heirs of salvation. And if you're an heir of salvation, if you love the Lord, angels are ministering to you. We don't see it. We don't, we're not aware. But it happens. And so here we have this very dramatic case of the, the, the angel coming. You remember Elisha uh, when, this, when it was at Samaria, was surrounded by the enemy. And Elisha's servant was saying to him, oh, we've had it, Elisha. We're doomed. And Elisha said, no, no, but there's more with us than there are of them. And the servant obviously thought, oh, Elisha's losing it. And Elisha prayed, Lord, he said, open the young man's eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of Elisha's servant and he saw the whole mountain surrounded by an angelic presence, horses, chariots of fire, far more with Elisha 
than there were of the enemy around. So how thankful we ought to be that there are ministering spirits to the heirs of salvation. And so he leads Peter out and then there's this realization. Peter doesn't realize initially that this is actually happening because it says in verse 11, but when Peter came to himself, he said, now I'm sure that the angel, (coughs) the Lord has sent this angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod. And so there's this awareness all of a sudden as they're out in the street, they've gone through the doors, everything's opened, everybody's asleep. And Peter's saying, poor, that wasn't a dream. I'm, I'm really here. And of course then he doesn't waste any time. He makes his way straight uh, to the house, we're told there, to the house of, 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 of Mary, uh, Mark, John Mark's mother. Uh, this man, Mark, features a lot in the, in, the, in the early church. And we believe that this is the Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark. And we believe that Peter was the one who provided through the, the Spirit of God the information that is recorded for us. And so Peter goes straight away. And obviously it was a house of means. She must have been a lady of means. And there's a crowd gathered there. And Peter knocks at the door. And we have actually what is quite a, quite a comic scene. Because as Peter knocks on the door, this servant girl, Rhoda, goes to answer the door. And uh, she says, who's there? And uh, he says, it's Peter. And she recognized his voice. And she went straight back in and she said to them, it's Peter. And he said, don't be daft. Peter's in prison. And it's a, at that moment you can see, here, here's the church. And they're praying, Lord, set Peter free. Deliver him. Because He's, he's the leader of the church. Set him free. It's Peter. No, it can't be Peter. Lord, let him. And you know this, sometimes we're like that. We pray and we don't recognize the answer because God often answers us and we don't see it. We, don't, we sometimes aren't aware that God has already answered our prayers. Well, certainly the church, weren't, they weren't taking it on board. And it says here that... Uh, when, when Rhoda went back and she insisted, it is him. And they said, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting it was so. And they said, it is his angel. Now, what, what does that mean? Well, back, back then, there was an idea in the early church at that time that God would sometimes send an angel uh, to represent a particular person so that the person, this angel would look like Peter. That it wasn't actually Peter, but God had sent us a, a, to convey a message to his church through. Now, there's no warrant for us in Scripture to, to find that, uh, or any warrant that there is what we term a guardian angel as such. But there are the ministering spirits, as we said. But that's what sometimes, they, uh, for a period, they used to think that this, the Lord sent somebody to represent, or somebody representing the particular person. So that's what they're thinking, that the Lord has sent an angel to make him look, ask, ask Peter to convey a message. She said, no, it's him. And then we find Peter, of course, he, he, he addresses him. And, you know, there, there's, there are so many wonderful things to see uh, in this. The, one of the things that I think we must always remember as we look at this is, to pray for those who are in prison today. Our world is full of Peters. 
who are locked up in prison. Men and women, boys and girls throughout this world are locked up because of their faith. Some of them are waiting execution. Some are being put to death. It's horrific what's going on in this world because of, for those who love the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know, when you come to the end of the chapter, under this we close, uh, there are just so, so many things. It's a sermon in itself. Of course, Herod goes daft when he finds that Peter's gone on a big inquiry and he puts the soldiers to death. Uh, that, was the, that was the punishment. If you lost a soldier or you fell asleep on, on, on duty, you were executed very harsh. And uh, then we find at the very end that Herod goes down to the people of Tyre and Sidon and he makes this speech. And the people are saying, the voice of a God and not of a man. And he, he was all puffed up in all his royal robes and he was saying, oh, who's like me? And because he didn't give God glory, God, God killed him. And we see in a, <laughs> he sent an angel to, to destroy him. And it was an awful way. He was eaten by worms and breathed his last. You know this, you couldn't have a greater contrast between the beginning of a chapter and the end. Begins about that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belong to the church. He's the power. He's the authority. He's the dominant force. He has life and death in his hand. He's going to destroy the church. The end of this is the Lord sent an angel that struck him down and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last, but the word of God increased and multiplied. Isn't that wonderful? The very word that Herod tried to destroy, he ends up being destroyed and the word continues to flourish and to grow. Do you know this? That's how it's always going to end. Always. The Lord will always be victorious. Irrespective of how dark the day looks, irrespective of how threatening the forces are, at the end of the day, the Lord will always prevail. You make sure that you are on the prevailing side the Lord's side. Let's pray. Lord, we pray to bless us. We give thanks for, for our time together and reflecting upon these historical events from your word, which are so full of teaching for us. Make us wise, Lord, to learn and to understand. Lord, we give thanks for your patience with us. Bless every home and every family. Do us good, cleansing us from our every sin, we pray in Jesus' name. We're going to conclude singing from Psalm 138 in the, in the Psalter, Scottish Psalter, Psalm 138 from verse 5. Psalm 138 from verse 5. Yea, in the righteous ways of God with gladness they shall sing. For great is the glory of the Lord who doth forever reign. Though God be high, yet he respects all those that lowly be, whereas the proud and lofty ones are far off knoweth he. To the last verse, surely that which concerneth me the Lord will perfect me. Lord, still thy mercy lasts. Do not thine own hands works foresee. Psalm 138 verses 5 uh, to 8. Yea, in the righteous ways of God.
Son and Holy Spirit, rest and abide upon each one of you now and forevermore. Amen.